Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Story X Story podcast. It is Nigel here and I just wanted to cut in at the beginning to give you a quick heads up on a couple things for this week's episode. So you're about to hear the replay of a Twitch livestream interview Tazzy and I did in July with Michael Chu, who is the current narrative director at the studio 31st Union and previous lead writer of Overwatch at Activision Blizzard. Yes, that Activision Blizzard. As you may already know, there's been a lot going on at Activision Blizzard. This interview was done just as the news was breaking. And as Michael is no longer at Blizzard, we felt it right to continue with the interview and also keep things focused on narrative design and writing, which was always the plan, rather than getting into any who knew what or when for someone who's no longer at that company. The other thing to mention is that we had a slight technical glitch while recording, which is code for I made a mistake. And this meant we lost some of the audio for the live stream intro and some of Michael's answer to my first question. So you're gonna hear me do an intro, ask the question, and then the audio is going to cut into the middle of his response. Everything after this is good. So sit back or stand or run or whatever you do when you listen to the podcast and enjoy our interview with Michael Chu. My name is Nigel, this is Tazzy, my Murder co-founder, uh, Gamepad organizer, uh, and Tazzy, Gamepad host. Gamepad is our platform for promoting the game uh, inclusion and diversity in the video games industry. And one of the ways we do this is by talking to creative professionals in the industry. Michael, as uh, just mentioned, is the narrative director at the 2K Game Studio, 31st Union. Uh, I think everyone heard you, so uh, we know who you are, but <laughs> uh, Michael will just kind of uh, go into it. So, uh, so Michael has been in the games industry for 20 years. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a long time. And has contributed to games such as Overwatch, Grounded, Diablo, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, and World of Warcraft as a writer and game designer. So currently he is at, he is the narrative director at 31st Union. And uh, prior to that served as the lead writer for Overwatch, um, at Blizzard. So I also found, found out when he's not working, uh, loves eating, drinking, and taking photos and traveling to see the world. So we might cover some of that, uh, as well, <laughs> uh, over this time. But let's start at the beginning and just find out how you got to where you are. So I saw that you came through QA, quality assurance and game design. So a lot of the time I hear uh, people take that route uh, as a way to get to a, another role. Um, so in your case, like narrative or, or writing. So was that the plan or did you just want to get into the industry and did you discover writing uh, when you were there? Telling and writing and all the stuff that I'd done playing D and D and like the types of games that I love, like Japanese RPGs and adventure games. So um, that really seemed like the um, the route that I was interested in. And so when I started, you know, they called that uh, a designer. Um, and so I, I kind of proceeded along that path for a while. Um, but then, really, when I was working on Star Wars: uh, Knights of the Old Republic two, that's where I really had a lot of writing and storytelling stuff, like even more than the, the design aspects. And so that was where I think I really solidified for me that um, the direction that I'm that I'm in now is is kind of my area of interest. Okay, oh, that's really interesting. So you you came in with like a music, like I'm gonna do this music. Had, so wait, had you done any kind of writing before? Yeah, I mean, I had done like personal stuff, right? Like kind of writing stories and on my own and things like that. But, um, you know, the amusingly, like the large bulk of my time was either spent in music, right? Like I had this idea like, oh, maybe I could become a professional musician. Um, and then the other thing actually was kind of programming engineering. Like I actually went to school for engineering, like I was going to become a programmer. But then like, oh, I did that when this. <laughs> <laughs> and then when this like game industry thing opened up as a potential career path that's where i sort of uh started my started this big long journey to, to today today okay yeah yeah i did uh i did the engineering and the programming thing and then took uh, yeah. <laughs> uh a detour <laughs> i figured at the end of the day you know worst comes to worst i could be i could go be a programmer right like oh yeah. i could just make apps and whatever like 
I, we might not really have called them apps then, but you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Work for Microsoft or Apple or something. Yeah, I think we were, we were using the full applications. <laughs> we were using that's the full right. uh, back then. So, um, all right, that's really interesting to know, actually, because um, yeah, I know, like, you know, people watching will uh, know that we work with young people, and like at that age, it's it's kind of you know, I want to do this, but I also like that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear that you had this interest in music, but you were going, or you knew you wanted to work in games, and then found writing as well so with that in mind was there you said you had that you know that passion that uh to get into the games industry was there a particular game that got you into video games um or development or uh, some aspect of development in particular it's funny there's been a couple of these uh twitter memes going around about like your five games or five soundtracks and stuff and so i yeah. think about this a lot and uh um, because i take that kind of thing really really seriously okay um but uh <laughs> but it's really hard to do five so if i, if I were to really think about it right i think the number one inspiration was probably um, Final Fantasy VI. It was three at the time. I think that as far as like characters, how big the game was, the music was amazing. Artistically, it was beautiful. And even in its kind of uh, little pixel art way, it was quite cinematic. So um, I really thought that that was amazing in terms of just like what a game could be. Um, mm. And sometimes I just think about how hard it would be even to make that game today. Like that's like a 140 hour game that has two worlds and I don't even know how many levels and you know 18 main characters like it's a giant game so um that really inspired me um I think uh some of the other kind of touchstone games for me um Grim Fandango in terms of like an original universe you know like a storytelling world that was on par with like a movie or anything right like it was so interesting like the concept was so original it could have been anything again the art was amazing the writing was like top tier um and I really enjoyed the story of that so so that was a big one and then I'd say, like, because I like a little bit of quirky, fun stuff, um, Earthbound. So another, a lot of Japanese RPGs, um, big inspiration. But um, I really liked Earthbound because of its sort of, like, quirkiness and its, like, weirdness that it was breaking all these rules about what Japanese RPGs could be. Um, and then the last thing's probably broadly, massively multiplayer games, starting with, like, you know, text games and then EverQuest in, in terms of just the idea of, like, bringing that a world to life um i thought that was uh those were probably those were probably the main the main influences hmm. wow okay that's quite a mix I, yeah Ever, you mentioned everquest i remember there was that had a period of time without just like that was it yeah like, <laughs> before yeah. world of warcraft that it was everquest and i just realized that that whole list of things omitted like the other genre of game that i love which is like mostly non-story but just fun like the hours i played sims or sim city right those are pretty formative games like animal crossing is one of my favorite games ever so like we didn't even get into that but like just kind of games that are fun as little interactive experiences is another really big uh love of mine okay all right no that's good to know and then you you mentioned uh you say uh in terms of like getting onto a writing project was knights of the old republic or two so mm -hmm. was that your your first like I'm a writer I'm here to write games project? Um I mean I did quite a bit of writing for World of Warcraft but a lot of that like it, it's not voiced and like a lot of that sort of like vignette like quests and stuff and I think a lot of that was just learning about the form and trying to figure out how to actually tell stories in a pretty limited way in in an MMO but I think the thing about Knights of the Old Republic 2 was that was cinematics, conversations, voiceover, yeah. like really strong focus. Like, I, and and I think it's fair to say, right? Like, the world building aspects of World of Warcraft are really integral, but not in like a you're coming to this game to experience like a really like written, acted performance. Yeah, right. World Republic really trying to be like a Star Wars movie that lasts forty hours that you get. To <laughs> yeah. So I think in that sense, right, it was much more of like a, a writing kind of focused project. And I agree with that. I think that was something for me, I, I really enjoyed those games. And even as someone who wasn't a massive Star Wars fan, like I, I like the universe, but I'm not super knowledgeable about it. But that game, for some reason, just the story element of it. And like you say, it's something where some element of story might exist in other games, like you mentioned World of Warcraft, but I felt like with Knights of the Over Public, you were there for the story. Yeah, number one. That's at the top of the like why you're playing this game. Yeah, yeah. Find out what happens. Yeah, it's funny. I, I mean, I was a gigantic Star Wars fan, so um, I was really happy to be able to take the 
thousands of hours I'd spend reading every book, every comic, <laughs> played all the games, and watched movies a million times. So um, it was really good to be able to like actually like one actually use that and like be able to make something was pretty great, even though it's all been officially retconned at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but that was really cool. I, I remember on my first day on the job, they're like, oh, yeah, we have this literal, like, this giant gray filing cabinet, not filing cabinet, but, like, a storage shelf unit, and it was filled with every single printed Star Wars book that had ever been made, RPG, you know, everything. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you could kind of start reading this and, like, you know, look at it up, look at, look at up for, you know, resources. And I was like, I've already read most of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, seen, I've seen that already. Uh- <laughs> Have wait, uh, Tazzy, have you played Knights of the Old Republic or come across no. that? Because I know we've had like discussions about uh, this is a bit of a side sidetrack, but like the Mandalorian and that mm-hmm. being for someone who isn't necessarily into Star Wars, that being something that can pull people in. Um, mm-hmm. The Knights of the Old Republic was was that for for me, but for in a video game form. I think also like also in the sense that like the Mandalorian looks at the Star Wars universe and something that has to last longer than the movie, right? And so it has to think a little bit more about the world and how it functions and, like, how these things kind of connect. So, and I think, like, Knights of the Old Republic was trying to scratch that, too. Like, you know, in our game, we were really focused on, like, the the teacher-apprentice, like, dichotomy. And that's something you see bits of, right? Like, Empire Strikes Back, it's great, right? But it's something that exists for just, like, a portion of the movie. And it's like, well, when you extend that story over like 40 hours then you're really getting into like well how would this actually work and how would these characters actually relate to together and stuff like that i think that's where the universe starts to feel more like a real a real thing not that yeah. like star wars doesn't feel real right but like <laughs> it becomes like something that has more layers of like oh i see it like this could be an actual like place that you lived and like these things do actually make sense yeah, yeah. when it's stretched over that long you have to go a bit yeah deeper into that so uh, so in terms of the actual like writing experience, especially as someone uh, who was always big into Star Wars, what was your expectation of going into like writing for games? And did that first or those those early experiences uh, meet those expectations? Yeah, I think so. There's all this stuff that's specific about writing for games that's really interesting that you kind of don't think about until I mean, it's not fair to say you don't think about, it, but like once you get in there, you're like, oh right, like the audience. I have no control, unless we're in like a movie, right? I have no control over what the audience is paying attention to or what the audience is like focused on or what they're taking away. So I think that's one of those things where it's really challenging. It's a really challenging medium. And probably for me, it helped that I started with like more of a game design background because I had a good understanding of like how the systems and stuff that we could use to get people to pay attention or kind of really thought about how people actually actually engage with story and narrative elements in games and uh just to clarify sorry one more thought the the hardest thing right is that you never have enough time in (laughs) games to tell the story like you're always like cutting everything so it'll fit into this little tiny like graspable bit before the player runs off to do another thing so i think i think that is challenging it's like there's this always thing where it's like it needs to be shorter but it can't be too short because if it gets too short then it's sort of no longer good (laughs) so that's a that's a I think that's a constant video game writing uh, mm. challenge. Unless you're in a game where it's like you're, you're like Disco Elysium or something, where it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just here for the conversation, so you guys can talk for you know two hours, and it's yeah. fine. That's interesting. When I you never say really thought about that, yeah, I was just thinking like when you say not enough time, you're talking. Are you talking like attention, like player attention, mm-hmm. versus not necessarily the length of the game, but getting the player's attention for a certain amount of time to tell that story. Yeah, that that's what I mean mostly. I mean, like there is obviously it depends on you know how long a game is, but generally games are long enough now that that's not a big thing. But yeah. I think yeah, that like attention and how long you how much space you actually have to do some of these things, like even like cinematics. I know like again, I'm sort of putting really cinematic focused games to the side because they get all the tricks and stuff that yeah. like a movie gets right. But if you don't have that, there is just this like you just can't quite go to the level of detail that like a screenplay for a movie would or a tv show like you just kind of have to condense everything a little bit more oh yeah i hadn't really thought of that in terms of like the the attention and yeah Mm -hmm. that's an interesting point and like i'll give you an example right like one of the main storytelling things in overwatch is that when you're waiting to start a match the characters will talk to each other right and so when we started that um one player can say something and then one player can respond and that works pretty well 
but like this is uh, the reason I give the example is like the longer that is, the more chance that it starts breaking, right? Because like, <laughs> what if that character changes, switches heroes, or leaves the game, right? Then the conversation breaks, or uh... like something else can happen. Like, oh, I want to run over here and just like shoot my weapon against the wall for a little bit, and now it's noisy. Like, there's all this stuff that can like mess it up, and so you really want to be short. Right. But sometimes these conversations, like, you know what, it would actually feel great if like they had a like four line, like back and forth. But like the length actually has an effect on whether it can be appreciated. So it's it, that's like a very small example. But I feel like there's stuff like that. I get that. About. But you almost uh, just remembering back to uh, my programming days. Uh, you you have to assume it will be broken. And then, yeah, right. <laughs> don't you like you, you, it's gonna someone someone's gonna break it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. then it's like, what happens when that gets broken? But and I'm thinking from a technical perspective, then you've got on top of that a a narrative um, perspective mm -hmm. of like keeping people in that world that you've created. That's so interesting because the amount of times I've been like in, playing a video game, trying to listen to the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And like, I do want to go off and shoot things, but I, I kind of want like the shooting to just mute while I, <laughs> while I listen to this really interesting conversation or something that's going on. Yeah. Like to use an example from a game that's more narrative focused, I have this experience, right? And partially this is because I sort of know how games work, right? And I feel this tension, but like if I'm playing like, um, Uncharted or something, right? Mm -hmm. And they have all the systems where you're, you're in the Jeep, right? You climb in the Jeep and they start having the conversation. As a game designer, my first thought is, should I just drive in circles until this conversation ends to make sure that I hear it all? Because what happens is like, okay, so now we're setting off, right? But then something can happen and they're great, right? Because they can stop and pick up a conversation. Like, where were you? Oh yeah, anyway. So I was saying, and they, they have systems to do this, right? But like something like that, right? Like if you have a conversation that's made to span like a 30 second drive through a fairly safe part of the game, hmm. you, you have to write to that. Cause if it's like the player gets there earlier or if something happens, like, these things can get interrupted or like, you know, like if it goes longer, then the next conversation is going to play and it's going to stop it anyway. So there's a, yeah, there's stuff like this always. I literally will do that though. If I, I know like one of these like big story <laughs> conversations happen, I will literally just like drive in circles and wait for it to finish. And then I'm like, okay, now I can go find the next trigger. <laughs> I love that. That's the, like the narrative. Cause you, cause you know what to expect and you know what's gone behind it. So you're like, yeah, yeah let me let this play out. <laughs> and then It's we'll like um, game designers, level designers. Like if they are, exploring an rpg and they get a branch they'll be like which one seems like the one that isn't going to progress me that way i can go and get the chest before i go in the area <laughs> trying to second guess the creator mm -hmm. of... <laughs> that's our curse yeah I can imagine I can, I can say i do both of those things too <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like so you just like explain different writing challenges and you mentioned you were doing like writing projects before getting into games. Mm -hmm. What did you study at university? Um, should also say Michael's from California. So you went to the University of California. Yeah. What did you study and, and tell us about that? Yeah. So primarily um, I was studying engineering, so computer science programming. And then at the same time I was studying like performance, like classical music, basically uh, cello. So those were kind of my two focuses. Um, but I did, uh, for my elective classes, I always picked fun things. Like, um, I did, I took like this class on Norse mythology and like old Norse, which was really great. But yeah, so, you know, I was really thinking that like, you know, I studied music because I had already spent a decade or whatever doing music. So it just felt like something I should continue to do. And then, um, I was really hoping that like computer science somehow would, I didn't know how, right? Cause I didn't know what game companies were or how to apply for jobs at game companies, but I was hoping that like, well, if I have a strong, you know, engineering foundation, probably there are jobs because, you know, I knew at least that video games were programmed. Yeah, so good bet. Good bet. I uh, like it. All right, we're going to dig into some of the uh, games you have worked on. We talked about, yeah. uh, about a few, but one of the things I wanted to clarify, and this is as much as for me, <laughs> as well as um, just general information for anyone interested in taking a writing path into games. Um, so I noticed from your titles, your current title, previous titles, and others I've seen, we've got a mix of things like you are currently narrative designer, you have been lead writer, uh, I've seen narrative uh, director, designer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you explain the differences between those roles? On quite if there if there is a difference, or is it just like a different title depending on where you you work, or is there a different set of responsibilities versus a you know director versus a lead writer? Yeah. So um, 
there is some differences. So like different companies just have different names for things. But I do think there is like a slight philosophical thing that underpins okay. it. So cool. let's hear it. Um, so like when we're talking about storytelling for games, there's like everything from like designing the games, which is like I set the triggers and I set up how actually like story moments will play out or how the quest will, you know, the quest objectives work. And like there's all this like stuff, right? Like, oh, kill the four wolves, right? Like there's a person who does that all the way to the left side. It's not really a spectrum, but like think of it that way. Unless I'm like left side. I'm like, it's not because the video is mirrored. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it is. Okay. Anyways, so all the way over here, um, you've got uh, writers who are basically like, I write the dialogue, I record the VO. And so basically all writers in or story people in video games fall somewhere on that spectrum. And so I think it sort of reflects on like your organization and what they value. And then slightly, in some cases, it reflects more like what you do. So I kind of do all of these things. Like I write the dialogue, but I also can do the implementation and all that stuff. And so really, you would probably call that a narrative designer. And okay. like writer sort of indicates that you are less focused on the systems that underpin how the story is told, whether through content or like, you know, the systems behind it. So um, that's kind of the difference between those two. But, you know, like different studios use different different names for that. Like in some studios, even if all you did was write in like write screenplays for the game yeah. they might still call you a narrative designer just because they broadly describe that um we also have like at, at 31st union we also have narrative systems designers um, oh wow you just introduced that another role one. is specifically just it specifically focuses on creating like the tools and creating like the under underlying systems that storytelling uses like anything from like they make the dialogue tool to they implement you know the the story flow into the level and test it so there's a pretty big um there's a pretty big variety there yeah. i think yeah that's uh that's quite fascinating and so like like my advice to people is that like if broadly you're interested in writing actually i should say if you're broadly interested in telling stories in video game through the medium of video game if you see writer or narrative designer it's probably they're probably thinking of you um and the only one i would say is like if they say writer there's a good chance that they mean like 90% it's the words, right? But narrative designer generally will encompass some level of writing. All right, yeah, that's that's good to know because I think uh, story is becoming a bigger bigger part of games. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where you're getting all the, the different roles. So cool. Going into some of the games that you have worked on, you talked about Knights of the Old Republic and because that was quite a while ago. <laughs> Do you feel that there's been a, <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, a change in the perception of game stories then versus now? Like, what do you feel has been the, the major change in terms of the how we perceive game stories as, as fans, as, as an industry? That's a good question. You just mean broadly rather than, like, the acceptance of that game over time. Yeah, bro- yeah, yeah. Not- <laughs> I mean, I think one one interesting thing is just that I think it's much more prevalent. Like every game now has a lot more story, even games that maybe like traditionally wouldn't have. Like I think if you take like the Overwatch example, right? I think if you rolled that back to the Coder era, right, it's unlikely that there would be as much of a focus on the world building and storytelling for that game as there mm-hmm. is now. You know, I'm I'm playing this game, Alchemy Stars, right now, which is basically like a puzzle game, right? Like a match puzzle game. And there's like so much story content in it that it's sort of overwhelming. And so I think that, like, in that sense, it's really suffusing all games a lot more. I think the other thing is that we've become more sophisticated in terms of um, the types of systems and the types of things that we can use to tell stories in games. So that's that's exciting. And then probably at a high level creatively, the thing that I'm most excited about in the era that we live in is that the variety of stories, diversity of stories is, like, finally starting to change and increase. And so I think that's personally very exciting to me mm. yeah it is like when i look into it more and more seeing the way stories are told like you mentioned you've got you know the words that characters say but then you've also got the environment that they're in the the actions that you have to do the you know the you might get a, a book a log a diary whatever it might be mm-hmm. and that contributes to the story so it's, it's quite fascinating to see the different elements that make up sort of game stories and how they're being used mm-hmm. more and more yeah, and like even, you know, down to like what, you know, what abilities characters have, how that reflects aspects of their story, you know, how environments, you know, reflect the story, how even like the way you progress through systems is like 
you know, reflective of, of the story. So I think, you know, we're just sort of figuring out ways to use these tools that we have to really tell stories in more interesting ways. Some of them like overt and some of them just sort of like, ah, they just sort of work in the background. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. And so you mentioned Overwatch. Uh, you spent a considerable amount of that 20 years <laughs> uh, at Blizzard and, and at Overwatch. And that's an interesting one for me because... So I'm not I'm not good at online shooters, so I tend to <laughs> stay away from. But what I find fascinating about that game is there is there is a story, there is a narrative. So how how did you approach creating a story without a story in a game without a specific story. single player story yeah. mode? So I mean, I think it. The good thing was that at its heart, right? We always wanted. We don't. We didn't approach it as like let's just make whatever minimum amount of stuff we need to be able to say like, hey, what. Like, what kind of armor should this character wear? Yeah, because like, you could have done you know, that. What's, what's the area? Right, like, there's a very light way we could do it. But I think the good, the good thing was that, you know, I wanted to approach it so it was really about creating a world that, like, had all the stuff that if there was, like, a single-player game, you know, you would experience. And you would need to know these things, and you, you would want all these characters to have enough um, meat on the bones. And so I think that was that was good where we started. And then the other thing was, so then I was just greedy, right? I love this universe and I, I was really excited about it. And so it was like any scrap of opportunity to tell the story, it's going to, I'm going to use it, right? And so that's down to like the way that skins are named, right? It's down to the like random stuff that you see on the map. We would do social media tweets, right? Where they were basically like storytelling opportunities. The dialogue that happens, you know, before the match starts, like all of these are sort of just giving you a little bit like filling in the pieces for you um, so that you're able to like understand the story in a better way. And so, yeah, it was like efficient and trying to do it as efficiently as possible and then trying to put it everywhere. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot in how the characters and, and the stories we tell you at different times, like there's this kind of orchestration of like when you get a certain piece of story that helps to explain the character more than just like if you read it all at once, like you're like, you know, we, we knew, like, for example, well, I don't have a good example off the top of my head, but, like, for example, we'd be like, we'll tell you this about the character, right? And we'll let you live with this idea of the character for a year. And then we will show you some other, this character at a different point in their life. And then you'll realize something different about them. And then you can go back and examine everything that you know. And you see, like, oh, actually, you know what? All along, you know, this character did have this other layer of interest in them. And I didn't quite know because I didn't have the context. But once I get it, now I go back and now I can start to reconstruct the, the pieces again. So um, we were very conscious of the overall like year to year plan of how story would come out. And so what we would tell you and what we wouldn't tell you is all very carefully thought through. Uh, that's interesting because you mentioned like, you know, the challenges of a story going from a something like Star Wars, two hour, mm -hmm. two and a half hour film to a 40 hour game. Now you're talking about creating a story over years and developing it over years. Did you, so you've got this, um, you've got this story, you've got this narrative you're, you're putting out in different ways. Were you aware or how much awareness did you have of how much the impact that, that story had on people? Like, were, did people take to the story initially? Were you seeing that in certain ways? Or was it like people just, I'm just here to, to shoot with my friends? <laughs> I like, mean, the first, the first kind of sign was that the team was really excited about it. And we're always asking for like more about like the characters and like, you know, like stuff that was like, they wanted small details so that they could help figure out like, how does the person animate? And like, you know, like, how can we put some of this into a map that we're making? So um, definitely that, like the, and, and the fact that people thought that the universe, right, on the team was really cool. But I think like once it got out there, it was sort of impossible not to notice that it was <laughs> having a big uh, positive in impact and people really embracing it. Like uh, I, one of the ways I, I just think is like, we, there's like the t-shirt series where it's like the iconic kind of like iconic elements of the character on a colorful t-shirt and like mm. seeing those start to pop up, um, seeing like, cosplay and seeing yeah. you know um fan art and all that i think like it's really it, it was clear that that people really liked it and people had lots of questions about you know story and characters and everything because mm. that's the thing right it's like you you want to get people into the world and attach the characters and following mm -hmm. their journey and then that just makes the gameplay and experience all, all the more so yeah no that's cool and i know in terms of like characters with overwatch there's been 
requests to get new characters in, particularly mm-hmm. sort of more diverse characters. Uh, how do you how do you face those challenges of having to add new characters to a already established story, and then also making sure that fan base that is now involved and attached mm-hmm. to the story are satisfied? How do you deal with that, or how did you deal with that? It, it's challenging, you know, because um, the game would would only release right about like three characters a year after the original group, and there's a lot of thinking that goes into which character comes next like one of the most obvious ones is like well the gameplay right the, the meta or whatever right now needs a character like this or we haven't made a character like this and so there's a lot of considerations about how that works and so i think that was that was definitely challenging right like there were some characters that i had been you know uh like for me right as the story as someone who's mostly interested in story and narrative right um for me my my motivations were always like i want to add a character that will expand the narrative right and then I want to add, generally, I want to add a character that will increase the representation of the game in places where we sort of identified that it's lacking, right? And so, but like in some of those cases, right, it's it's hard because they're like, well, we can't release this character because uh, we just, we don't, it doesn't make sense for us to add this gameplay archetype into the character, right? And so like there were definitely instances where that was like a challenge, right? Where it's like, man, like I just want to release Sojourn. Like I just want, like... Every time it was like, what, what hero do you want to put out? It's like, Sojourn. <laughs> and so, but then it's like, there were all these other character archetypes or whatever that had to go into the, into the list beforehand. And again, you just only have so many slots to release characters. Ah, uh, that's interesting. So you, you've got the, I guess in a, in a way, the, the conflict between wanting to add to and expand a narrative with, we have a, we have a plan, basically. We've got, we release a certain number of characters and then we've got to have to make those decisions in terms of, who who we release when we release and how that impacts the game yeah (laughs) it's just it's just so much stuff goes into each one of those decisions yeah no i can imagine um out of interest are you you any good at overwatch (laughs) uh i am not but i have a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) my my being good at good at first person shooters probably peaked with like quake three oh wow and it's all been it's all been downhill since then but like i the thing that i always loved about Overwatch was, I, you know, I could play Mercy, I could play yeah. uh, Symmetra. I mean, less, I could play Symmetra less after the, the change, but like, I, you know, I could always play Mercy. I mean, the joke uh, that my team members will tell you is that I've just played Bastion all the time <laughs> just because it was fun. I don't know if I was helping out the team at all or, or like Reinhardt, right? At least I could stand there and hold a shield up. You're, you're present. You're present. That's important. That's Being right. Is, is, <laughs> That's it's right. Part, of, part of it. It's, it's funny you say uh, Quake theme. Uh, my mind peaked at Unreal Tournament. Mm-hmm. That was I was I was decent at Unreal Tournament, and then it was like no, it was, uh, it was done. But it, it's also interesting to know when like because when people are involved in something, I think from an outside perspective, they might assume that they're an expert at the thing. So if you're involved in this game, you must mm-hmm. be the best at the game. Um, like when I tell people like we have this gaming event, and just naturally assume I'm good at games, and I have to set those expectations low like uh, that's not that's not why uh, i do a video game event i'm not uh not to show off any kind of gaming prowess or anything like that so with uh like i mentioned you were a lot of time uh blizzard on this game uh you eventually uh decided to leave uh blizzard and was it form your own studio or join uh join. your own studio 31st unit okay mm-hmm. so the first question is what was that decision like what were the considerations behind leaving i imagine that point a pretty stable role to go and face a new challenge like um what was the considerations for you yeah i mean i think there there were a lot of things i think one of them was like creatively stuff that i wanted to pursue um like really one of the things i just want to do is do like more stuff um and really like build these universes but then really do like a lot of storytelling with them i think the other thing was um, really wanting to work in an environment like Overwatch really crystallized for me. I mean, it's obviously something that was has always been important to me, but like having had the chance to contribute to something that was more diverse and representative and being able to like tell those stories was really great for me. And I think ultimately what I wanted to do was to push that even farther. And I think for that, it was like finding a organization or a group of people, studio, right, that had that in the DNA of something that they also wanted to achieve. So it wasn't like, you know, it was less like, hey, let me convince you why 
you know, an increased representation is going to be better for the game or better for the community. And people were like, no, no, no we, we already want to do that. How do we do that the best possible way? So I think that was that. And, you know, also I had this thought in my mind, which was that, um, you know, I wanted to pursue, there were like a bunch that had that's trying to get a backlog of like personal projects that I wanted to do. And so partially it was just to get some time to be able to, to catch up on that, okay. um, which I've done a little bit, which is, which was really fun. Um, but yeah. I imagine you must have learned a lot, but were there any particular lessons that stood out for you while you were at Blizzard, like things that you learned and things that you're carrying forward into your current role? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the main, my main takeaway, right, is that it is really powerful, like the, the, that representation in video games is like, I think that video games are magical in that way, that like when you play a game, you just have a little bit more connection to like the character that you're playing and it just opens it up a little bit. And so I think, um, that's amazing. I think that just the power of seeing someone that you relate to, and it's not necessarily like, oh, we're from the same country or, you know, anything like that. Just in all these different ways, seeing characters that you relate to is is pretty powerful. And so I think like, you know, video games are a are a young medium. And I think that we're we're pretty well positioned to be able to approach that and use like all this all these like narrative systems and all this stuff that we've been talking about, um, to be able to like really push you know diverse storytelling in the future yeah so you, you've mentioned diversity representation what where you are now so uh 31st union so yeah what impact does diversity in, in your opinion have on the creative process and how is that going to factor into your your studio and the games that you make yeah i think it's it's huge for us because the next step right is we've identified this is a goal that we want to hit and i think the the kind of important work that has to happen is not just having the goal and then sort of abstractly trying to get there but it's about like how do we organizationally as a team as a as a creative group as writers like how do we set up structures you know like ways like how we actually take a piece of content from you know an idea to a finished product how do we involve right expertise um advisory stuff like that to make sure that we get things these things right and also how to make it so that in addition to being a thing about authenticity and getting things right, it's also about it being actually this really big creative opportunity. So seeing it not just as like, like, oh, good, we didn't screw up, but like, wow, we were actually really able to tap into something and find something unique that now enables us to do something unique. And so I think there's all this like, you know, how do we set up, this sounds very boring, right? But how do we set up processes and stuff like this? Because like, I think if you don't have some sort of rigor behind it, it's not really just going to meaningfully happen on its own. Like it will, right? But like if you really want to drive things, you kind of have to have these these um, processes. And then the other thing I think even above that is as we go through this, it's like creating an overall way of thinking, right? Because, you know, it's a big learning process for everyone, right? When you're learning about different cultures, learning how to approach representation, all these issues. And so it's about like, how do you create a culture in which people think about these things like oh you know what i'm proactive in thinking about something because i've had this experience in the past or hey do we need to step back and just like look at what we're doing right like having those like moments where you've sort of like learned a way that not just a way to look at a specific character but to way a way to look at like these creative processes in general so i think like all of that right is the big is the big goal yeah no that's uh it's a good thing you highlighted i mean you say it, it sounds boring um like processes and systems and it does it does once you say processes and stories <laughs> it, yeah it does sound boring but it that's the thing right it's the because when you when you don't have that it, it tends to be because there's like an existing system in place and that's resulted mm -hmm. in um say a lack of representation so it is taking that step to think about how are we operating and how is that mm -hmm. impacting people from different walks of life so that sounds like an interesting process <laughs> um, and it's, it, it sounds like it's having a big impact on not just like the games you will eventually make but like the, the team as well yeah i i mean i really think so we're still early on but i think it's it's definitely already affected the way that i look at how you know content should be created and i think the team's overall perspective um has changed and 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 then like obviously i wish i could talk about it right but like the, there are these specific things that are happening you know, every week we're like, oh, you know what, if we weren't approaching things like this, we just, we wouldn't get here. And it's like so much more interesting that we're here now. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been pretty exciting. Cool. So yeah, I know you can't talk about what you're <laughs> working on now, but if we 
to speak in general terms and in in regards to like the type of narratives that say even in your personal projects you mentioned as well like the type of narratives that you would like to uh make or just type of narratives you think we're yet to see in video games that you'd like to kind of see more of is there anything in in particular um i mean you know everything that i've said before right and i think the other thing is types of stories and this is probably something that will more show up in like per- my personal work and stuff like that because it's it's a little bit less uh blockbuster <laughs> blockbustery but like i i really like to see smaller kind of like personal stories like less stakes like you know there's an doesn't always have to be the big you know all destroying foe at the yeah, end right yeah. it's doing everything like i'm more interested in like how the characters actually like change or don't change or like really experience smaller things so a lot of that is not super well suited to like an overwatch game right like where you're just shooting each other like rocket <laughs> launchers and stuff right um not to say that you can't right but it's just not really built to have stuff like that and yeah so, and so what I'm people come for in that stuff I guess in a, in a to a certain exactly. extent you you have to meet expectations mm-hmm. and I, I guess people come for a certain thing but no that's a that's a really good point and I and, I agree with that and I do think like some of the really fun stuff about Overwatch is like in some of the less big moments right little small character piece like you know you find out like how May her kind of hero origin story and it's really interesting because it's really not about there's no like there's no enemy right it's actually just about survival and like how she will get herself out of problem that she finds herself in right and so i really love stuff like that um and i just want to see more of that no i think the little with the big (laughs) but then personally like i'm really into like the little (laughs) i get that you know i i are you gonna say something tazzy i was just gonna say i love little stories in in high stakes situations so i love seeing like the relationships between mm-hmm. characters. Well, there's like, I don't know, some massive alien invasion going on. But the, the story's not about the alien invasion, because we know how that goes. It's actually about <laughs> yeah. the relationship between these two characters or their everyday life right. in the alien invasion. And I mean, you know the alien invasion's going to be look amazing. <laughs> it's going to be really fun to get in the ship and shoot the aliens. Like, all that's going to be great, <laughs> right? But like, wait, the stuff you were talking about, like, to me, that's the stuff that actually, you know, makes the magic. And because as you were talking, I was thinking of um, sort of my personal example of that done in a good way is with um, Captain America: Civil War because they had obviously mm-hmm. being a Marvel property, they've got all the the CGI, they've got the battle and everything, but then they mm-hmm. went into how does this affect the relationship between these three uh, mm-hmm. characters uh, for for the worst, and that was the the main thing for me was like how this broken relationship and and lack of trust and yeah that that whole thing so i think definitely because that's again like like with stories that's what i think that's what moves people because you can you can relate to that more often those times those small stakes or seemingly small stakes you can relate to it because it's i've i've had you know you betrayal and and sort of trust yeah. around friends you you understand that absolutely so no i totally get that because we always like to pull out bits of advice and oftentimes when we talk to people mm-hmm just like advice will naturally just spill out so uh yeah hopefully people are listening and and taking notes but interesting question for you is like what's the best advice that you've been given by someone in the video games industry and did you follow it well that's a good question um (laughs) it's funny i'm like i don't know if i if this advice was just directly given to me or it's something that i just sort of took away from listening to people talk about the games they make and stuff like that like i guess it wasn't given to me specifically Mm. but um there was this one really good talk um at gdc boy a decade ago i don't (laughs) even know at this point uh and it was about bioshock maybe i think it was about bioshock but it was about this idea that you always have to think about the player's frame of mind and what they're thinking and that's either like in the next minute like in the next 30 minutes and then in the next like eight hours so like and like the player's sort of able to keep more details relevant that will happen soon and it's harder for them to keep details that are farther off and so the types of ways that you stre- you like you give people information is really important so and i guess all of that to say is like 
being really conscious of what the the player is actually actually experiencing and thinking about is extremely important. Um, and I think yes, I have mostly followed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good to know. <laughs> All right, so then, yeah, we're going to go into some, like, sort of bonus questions and just, like, throw some mm-hmm. stuff at you before we before we wrap. So, like, Tazzy, what do you have? What do you have for us? I'm going to, like, put one in here to just completely throw you off everything <laughs> we've been talking about first, just to make sure you're got on your feet. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the best ramen you've ever had? Because <laughs> I noticed Ooh, there's a lot of ramen yes. on your Instagram. Um, the best one that I've ever had is probably, I'm like, which one would I have right now? It's probably in Japan, which makes sense. And it is, it's this kind of ramen that they, I think they only basically make in Japan because it uses some ingredient that can't get shipped to the U.S. because of like health codes. Oh, wow. Um, But it's called Niboshi ramen and it's basically made from the, the like guts of small tiny fish. It's like super fishy, but yeah, that with like, um, it's like this tiny, I ate it at this tiny, tiny, like four person booth. It like, it looks like almost like a, it's like, imagine like a toll, a toll taking booth, right? But it was, it's just like shoved up against a building and it has like four seats and a little window. <laughs> I can't even remember what it's called, honestly, but yeah, it was like big noodles and then like this kind of fishy, fishy soup. It was really good. I don't know why I asked that question because now I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have a really good ramen in uh in London actually. Um, okay, it's oh, I can't remember the name. Uh, Canada, yeah, Canada, yeah, or something. When I was in London last, I, I ate there. There's like two. I think they have two shops or something, but it's really good. I have to Canada, yeah. Google that. Canada, yeah. yeah. What about in um Southern California? Because at some point, I intend to sort of go back. I mean, there's so much here. Yeah. Um, there's actually a street in Orange County, which is known. It's like, it's Baker Street. Um, it has random, this like random city in, of Costa Mesa in Orange County has one street that has like 11 great ramen shops on it. Really? And so, yeah. I was um, not told about this. So I'm going to have to have a word. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's one I, I really like, um, which is called Kashiwa and they do chicken ramen. And then up in LA, there's another just, ton of amazing ramen shops so we got a lot cool <laughs> the like i want to live just on this ramen street yeah. it's amazing my yeah, ideal it's place <laughs> yeah. it was great like 10 15 years ago when there were like three shops and they just keep opening up and i don't feel like it's it's really like they're trying to open it just happens to be that they always open on this one street it's just like spend a day trip just like <laughs> yeah. my way down <laughs> And yeah, so back to some like more gamesy questions. <laughs> um, what projects had the most meaning to you personally? Ooh, um, I mean, obviously, I think Overwatch, given the amount of impact that it had on people, and just seeing people really embrace that game and the different characters that you know we worked really hard to to give life to. So, um, I think that one that one's obviously very important. I think uh, just in terms of logistics, uh, you know, Diablo is very important because I spent many, many years on it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Overwatch for sure. And then I don't know. I love, I love all the all the projects I get to work on. This isn't like one thing that randomly was really fun is working on Grounded. Is that it's set in the early '90s, and so I was kind of able to do a game that was set during my childhood. So that was really fun and trying to remember what the things about like the 90s for kids were like was like really fun like (laughs) you know one of the things that we we really focused on was like how randomly i mean i guess maybe it's telling but like how randomly violent kids entertainment and kids stuff was in the early Mm. 90s like like when you know like even like the like candy and stuff was like (laughs) you know like so we have all these jokes about how all the soft drinks flavors and things are all like really violent or like it's just weird. It's like this weird thing that, that was in the 90s. So that's definitely something that, that it was fun just to kind of get some of that nostalgia. Like I was trying to think about things like words we'd use in the 90s that like we don't use anymore. Or like, yeah, so um, that was that was pretty fun. <laughs> like MTV. There's also a character. Um, I love D&D, which is probably no surprise. And there's a character who basically thinks that he's in a D&D. He doesn't think he's in a D&D, but he's approaching it as though his great adventure in the backyard is he's like a D and like Elven Ranger. And so that was... That was really fun also. 
So I guess I like I like taking little things from from my life and being able to slip them into the the projects that I work on. Yeah, I definitely get a lot of those vibes from grounded, like nostalgia. <laughs> grounded is just like a ridiculous. It's it's just a very silly, very silly game. <laughs> We're very scary spiders. Like, I'm not someone that's scared of spiders, but they are particularly frightening. <laughs> yeah. The, the cool thing, though, is if you turn that slider all the way down, they are not very terrifying. <laughs> it's just like a circle with, like, a, a like sausage body. <laughs> the spiders are really scary, and I did not like looking at the concepts of them very much at all. But I like all the fun stuff, like the silly juice boxes and the, you know, mm. 90s jokes and the colors and... um the robot with the mustache. I think there's there's a was it a robot called Taz in it? And I was like The the Tasties? Yeah, so it's like spells out Taz. And I was like sitting there, I was like, I'm in a video game. I'm oh, that's, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you should be really happy then because we actually went back and forth quite a bit on how exactly to spell it. Because it's supposed to be like a a potato joke, right? To or not potato joke, but like a fast food joke going on with burgle and so we were like is it like a y is it a you know like is it an s where does the period go so that's i mean it's also a pun on tasers anyway sorry i'm i'm i'm, I'm happy that that uh that, that, that worked for you yeah um i think it was like it it was part of my old username on neopets as well so it was like, <laughs> like, literally spelled like that so it was like <laughs> yeah um, oh, that reminds me speaking of like tags and stuff um one of the things that people i think broadly maybe I mean, i'm sure some people realize it but i think some people don't realize is that in overwatch diva's name the dot it's supposed to be that like it's a clan name you know how like people used to have like they, it's in brackets or whatever but like for a while i think like one of the one of the teams would do their clan and the number and then period and so the d but it's supposed to be that d is the name of her her esports uh... team Okay. <laughs> it's not just a stylized period. Oh, well, I mean, it is, but it's it's supposed to be. Um, she has another team member who's like demon, and so she D dot M O N. That makes sense. <laughs> huh. <laughs> That's a deep, deep gamer reference. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> go away and think about that. <laughs> I'm just that there's that much detail, and apologies if you can hear the train in the background. Um, I love that that like such a minute detail. Like, I never get these. I have to. I have to have them explained to me. But yeah. I love what they exist. <laughs> I love that someone does think like that <laughs> because I have the inability to. And then, how do you deal with like criticism of games, whether it's internally or uh, once the games are released to a wider audience? And you know, Twitter exists. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny having having worked at Blizzard for many many years. Um, you get pretty pretty good at taking really harsh feedback i would say and so you know what i try and do is resist the urge to immediately be like you're wrong right um but uh it's really like this is like a thing that you know designers learn and then practice in their careers is like trying to pull out the actual like people when people tell you you should change this or like i hated this there's probably something that they're they're actually not efficiently telling you what the problem is and so our job mm. is to sort of sift it and go like, he didn't like that. What was the context of why you didn't like it? Because sometimes the core issue is different. And so I think a lot of that is sort of learning to be able to to parse feedback. And then, you know, like, I think, you know, the one of the bigger things, story, and I often get asked this is like, how do you deal with like fans, in, like people like who are like, they want to hear they want this, right? They don't like that you made this decision and, or they really think it should be this way. Um, but you don't want to do that. And I think like ultimately, you know, the team, you like have to, like you have, you have to be the one who makes it. And so do something that you really feel strongly about and the direction you believe in, even if it might not be what seems like is expected or what people are sort of expecting you to do or think it should go. Because at the end of the day, like it's got to be something that you think is the, is the correct thing so there's there's a balance there between like that and then also you know when people give feedback like that like oftentimes there's a kernel of like ah yeah actually you know what there's something there must be I'm a tough balance fan service <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have um Rilder in chat um, <laughs> you know you know when we work on overwatch but 
maybe a friend. <laughs> uh, can you can you ask when uh, is Genji and Mercy going to kiss? <laughs> can you well, make not, that happen? It's <laughs> uh, a perfect example. Uh, it's out of my hands now. Pass that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then before we go. Uh, obviously, we're in a new generation of consoles. Um, and what does that mean for you as a game developer? It, it's funny, like, not much of the things that I do actually have a big impact on that. Like, it does, obviously, right? Like, how the games look and, like, how many players can play in a match or something like that. Like, that stuff affects me. Um, but honestly, because, like, I would love to work on a game someday where, like, the capacitive controllers right like for the for the ps5 or thing because i think there's a lot of like really interesting like i'm playing ratchet and clank right now and it's really oh, interesting yeah. how how that works like that's new like oh i've never experienced that that's mm. cool um the touch screen right i'm working my way deal. through that as well slowly <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting there <laughs> so like all of that's super cool like but honestly you know and it may just be because of the projects that i've worked on not a huge it, it doesn't have a huge impact other than that like more of like when you say like oh i just wish it could be like this right more of that can actually happen and i guess the big thing for me is that you know i'm playing through uh replaying through final fantasy 7 remake and i'm just like this is just looks so amazing um i'm very lucky i have a ps5 so <laughs> i guess that's the other thing but yeah i i've never been and never never been and i haven't really worked on games where that like bleeding edge tech is really critical um so Maybe less than most uh, uh, to me, but like I do like I think like touchscreen is something that was really like I loved the DS um, and I loved mobile gaming because that was a really interesting new like phenomenon. Um, so stuff like that I think it excites me, and then I think just as a storyteller, the idea that like oh guess what we can now push the view draw distance a little bit farther and the worlds can just feel a little bit more um, amazing. I think that's you know that's always great. Well. Um... It's just lots of great insight today. Thank you, everyone that has joined us in chat today. And thank you, anyone that's watching on the replay as well. And that the awesome Gamepad online event is coming up in October. Tickets will be free. Um, and we'll be announcing that all in our next Gamepad report. Uh, we do have team spots for the Friendly Fire competition. If you want a chance at winning some cool prizes. And you don't have to be good either. That's yeah. The, <laughs> oh, I'm. You just so have to be better than the worst person. That's yeah, <laughs> and I'm so looking forward to the next next one because it's chaos. Yeah. Like if you even if you think you're good at the games that are in it, you might not be good at the version we're making. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to throw some people off. <laughs> but, um, cool. I think so. Yeah, that's the the end of our interview. Thank you, Michael, so much for. For joining us, uh, I can yeah definitely talk like ages about like narrative in in video game design. So, um, but yeah, thanks for like everything that you shared in terms of your journey and the considerations around that as well. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, so for everyone watching uh, now or later, I uh, hope you enjoyed the discussion. Uh, definitely follow us on social media. Uh, follow us on Twitch. I mentioned at the top i can't remember if i was muted uh, or not but uh, i think i said it again but we have um discussions with video game professionals as a way to highlight different career paths and just give a bit of like i guess behind the scenes in terms of like how games are made and the people uh, that are making them uh, we also do other monthly activities as part of our studio 77 uh, platform uh, we are doing a another games night on another game that i have never played before uh, this is becoming a theme in this. So we're going to be playing Identity V with Studio 77 members. And you can check that stream out next Thursday, the 29th from 7 p.m. Uh, as Tazzy mentioned, uh, we've got another uh, Gamepad online uh, event coming. Uh, so definitely check that out at Gamepad.events. Uh, um, I think the other thing is we're going to be giving away another piece of artwork. So we're getting in the habit of making this uh, cool artwork. The one for the summer was uh, Tazzy's character um, in her in her element. So uh, hop on our Discord and, and check that out. Uh, I dropped a link there. Uh, and then we're going to come up with another idea uh, for the autumn. 
And the last thing before we go, we have a podcast for those who are interested in deep dives into stories across pop culture, myself and Tazzy, uh, we do that. We do that uh, every week and as well as uh, different discussions around um, obviously games, um, films, TV, animation, manga, comics. Uh, we also have uh, creator interviews and panels. So yeah, definitely we'll drop a link in the chat so you can follow that. We've got a few bonus episodes coming up today and tomorrow uh, and next week and then we're back recording in August. So we're working out our schedule for that. So uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, you can always uh, give us a shout uh, directly. Our email address is gamepad at mymadar.com. And our website uh, with links to uh, everything that we've talked about uh, is gamepad.event. So yeah, this has been another uh, industry interview. Thank you for joining us and uh, we'll see you again soon. All right, take care, everyone. (laughs) 